It is what day? It is Easter. What do you call an Easter bunny with fleas? Bugs Bunny. Come on, that's pretty good, I thought. Hey, seriously, what is one of the advantages of getting older? You can hide your own Easter eggs. <clears throat> Cindy and I will hide them for our grandkids, and we'll be finding them in July. That <laughs> Several years ago in a Sunday school class, could have been a deacon's meeting, but I think it was a Sunday school class, the Sunday school teacher, the week before Easter, asked the little kids, six- and seven-year-olds, what is Easter all about? The little boy raised his hand quickly and said, it's when all my family comes over and we eat turkey and we watch football. She said, no, son, that's Thanksgiving. Another little girl raised her hand and she said, I know what it's about. It's when daddy comes home with flowers and him and mama are actually nice to each other that day. We go out to eat and we have hearts and chocolate. She said, no, that's Valentine's Day. She's getting depressed because she feels like she's failed. Another little girl raised her hand and says, it's about Jesus. She goes, oh, my goodness, this is going to be awesome. It's about Jesus. Tell us about what it's about. It's about Jesus dying, and then three days later, he walks out of the tomb, and if he sees his shadow, we have six more weeks of bad weather. <laughs> well, I want to tell you what Easter's about, what I believe it's about. I believe it's the greatest day ever that changes everything. I believe it changed everything, and if you will let it this morning, even as a believer, re-let it this morning. If you're not a Christian, if you'll let it, it can change everything in your life. It can change everything. Let's begin with this. Here's how it's a game changer. Jesus arose from the dead. Jesus arose from the dead. We're going to be in Matthew 28. If you have a Bible, we're going to also be in some other places, but if you don't have a Bible, the, the Scriptures will be on the screen, and it begins early on Sunday morning. As the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to visit the tomb, the tomb of Jesus, where they had laid him Friday afternoon. Now, all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, tell the story of the death and resurrection. They do not contradict each other at all, but they give different eyewitnesses accounts. In Mark 16, 1, look what it says here. Saturday evening, when the Sabbath ended, the Sabbath would have ended at sundown on Saturday, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, went out to purchase burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. This is extremely important. They were not going to the tomb to celebrate Easter, the resurrection. They were going to finish the Jewish burial processes for the dead Jesus. They'd taken him off the cross late Friday. They did not have time to do some of this before the Sabbath. They put him in the tomb. So they were going to come and complete what we would say embalming, but it wasn't embalming, the burial process for Jesus as he lay in rest, final resting place. But something happened as they were on their way. In chapter 2, excuse me, verse 2 through 4, Suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and rolled aside the stone and sat on it, and his face shone like lightning, and his clothes was white as snow. And the guards shook with fear. Can you blame them? When they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. The, the ladies were wondering, it's told in other gospel, who's going to roll the stone away? They put a stone that may have been as much as two tons, about 4,000 pounds, in front of this, this tomb. And so these two ladies are going, who's going to do it? And the soldiers probably aren't going to do it. 
The soldiers at the tomb, we have a picture of where, you know, where there's just two men in kind of mini skirts that are standing there. But it was probably, it was probably 16 soldiers, very well trained Roman soldiers. They were, they would die, literally, they would, they would die if what they were guarding escapes or gets away from them. So they're taking this very seriously. They would have probably stood guard in groups of four around the tomb and then made a semicircle with the other 12 around there and swapped out about every four hours. So they're very alert. Something happens. An angel comes. The tomb rolls open, and these guys are knocked out. I mean, they are absolutely, you can't blame them. Psychologically, they're gone. Verse 5 through 7, the angel spoke to the woman. Don't be afraid. It's always easy for the angel to say that, isn't it? I know you're looking for Jesus. He was crucified, but he is not here. He is risen from the dead. The word risen literally means a bodily, physically getting up out of a tomb and walking out. It's not a hallucination. It's not spiritual resurrection. It's a physical get up. Rising here means to never die again. He is risen. Come see where his body was laying. Now go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. He's going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. Because they see an empty tomb doesn't mean Jesus is alive. Remember, they went there originally. They weren't looking for a resurrected Jesus. They were going to anoint a dead body. This is awful cool right now, but it doesn't prove anything, really. There was a dad and his four-year-old son lived near a graveyard, and occasionally they'd walk around. It's pretty out there. And One day, they're walking in the graveyard, and the little boy sees a grave that's getting ready for a funeral that afternoon. If you've ever seen that, obviously, there's an empty hole with a lot of dirt on the side of it with normally a funeral home tent. And the little boy grabs his dad and says, Dad, look, one got away. No, one didn't get away. One hadn't been put in there yet. And on February 26th of this year, in England, there was a terrible storm, and a family, the Robinson family, two little boys, mom and dad, had a cat that they loved. The cat was named Willow. I think we have a picture of Willow there. Isn't that a cute little kitty? And during the storm, the cat got away. Hurricane season, bring the cat in. That's always good advice, but it, it disappeared. So they're just devastated. They love their cat for two weeks. They can't find their cat. They put posters up all over the neighborhood. Finally, one day, the dad's driving through the neighborhood, and he sees the remains of a cat that's been ran over. He assumes that it's their cat. So he scrapes up the cat, takes it, puts it in a box, and they have a funeral, and the boys are devastated. Their hearts are broken. And two days later, one of the boys comes in and says, Mama, Daddy, Willow's back. <laughs> no, 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 no. Willow, Willow is in cat heaven, or cat heaven, yes. No, Willow's back, and he brings the cat in. And you, you know what? They never assumed that Willow arose from the grave. They assumed Daddy buried the wrong cat, right? So... Uh, uh, someone in a grave or someone not in a grave doesn't prove it. But here's where we get into it. Look in verse 8 through 10. The women ran quickly from the tomb. They were very frightened but filled with great joy. They rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. And as they went, literally that means in their path, as they're going in their path, in their path shows up Jesus. And he said, hello, can you imagine And they ran to him, and they fell at his feet, grabbed his feet, and they worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. You go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee. They will see me there. Three things I think about this that are neat. 
maybe that differentiates between a ghost and a, and a risen person or a real person. They, they said they saw Jesus. Well, I, I guess you can see a ghost. Thank God I never have. They heard Jesus. I guess if a ghost was talking to you, you could hear a ghost. But my best guess from watching scary movies for several years now is you can't touch ghosts. And it makes a point to say they fell and they grabbed Jesus' feet and they held Jesus' feet. See, Jesus Christ arose from the dead. In 1 Corinthians 15, there's probably some of the most clear teachings about the resurrection. In verse 4, it says, Jesus was buried. He did die. He was raised from the dead bodily, literally, physically, walked out of the tomb on the third day. As the Scripture said, he was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. We're going to talk about the significance of Peter a little bit more in a moment. But it was important because Peter had failed him big time. In verse 6, it says, after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of who are still alive, though some have dead. Now, folks, this is significant. The people in Corinth did not believe dead people came back to life. Paul's saying, look, Jesus came back to life. This was probably written 20 years after the death and resurrection. There have been plenty of people around to dismiss it or to discount it. Jesus said he came back to life. If you don't believe me, we have 500 eyewitnesses. Some of them are dead now, but many of them are still alive. How many of you, it was March the 11th, watched the O.J. Simpson special on Sunday night? Did any of y'all watch that? We do not have a cultured church, do we? Uh, it was very interesting. It was a tape from the early 2000s where he basically walked through, if I would have killed Nicole and Ron. It was a confession and a denial. And to say It was really, really bizarre and weird. And after it was over, a thousand things went through my mind. But I would always go back to this. There's no eyewitnesses to the murder or to the fact that he wasn't there to have done that. If you remember, if you don't know them at the O.J. Simpson case, Google it when you get home because you need to. It's just very interesting. But in a criminal court, he was acquitted. He was not held accountable. In the civil court, he was found liable. But I believe with all my heart, if there would have been even four or five eyewitnesses that would have said, I saw O.J. Simpson, I saw him do that, that he would have been, he'd be in prison today and no one would have ever questioned that. I believe on the flip side, if there would have been four people who would have credible witnesses, four or five, let's, let's go to 20, who would have said, we, he was with us. He was not even near there. There's no way he could have done it. Then everyone could have walked away and said, he did not kill them. Paul's saying, look, you doubt the resurrection, okay? That's normal. They did on the first day. There were 500 eyewitnesses. This Corinthians was written about 20 years after the death and resurrection, not 400 years later. The book of Mark was probably the first gospel written. It, it may have been written as early as 10 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, but certainly much, no much later than 20 years. Folks, listen to this. We've got 5,600 full ancient manuscripts of the New Testament. Many of them push back close to the first century. Did you hear that? That's incredible. We have 66,000 partial copies of the New Testament. And here's the neat thing. They don't contradict each other. They don't contradict each other. And the changed life that happened, listen, I submit to you this morning, if you really dig into the facts, Jesus Christ came back to life. Jesus Christ arose from the dead. Here's the second thing, folks. That means he's Lord. That means he's Lord. How many of you agree with me? If we can kill you and you walk out of the grave three days later, there's something special about you. You believe that? 
I believe that. I'll listen to you. Here's the, 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 there's a real significance in the word Lord in the New Testament. If you're a member here, you've heard me walk through this. Uh, you've forgotten it, so just pay attention again. The New Testament was originally written in Greek. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. In Jesus' day, they had taken the Hebrew Old Testament and translated it to Greek. It was called the Septuagint, the Greek Old Testament. You still with me? That's probably what Jesus read. And in the Greek Old Testament, when it would talk about God the Father, it would use a Greek word, kurios, kurios, pronounced different ways by different people, which meant Lord. They would say, God the Father is kurios, he is Lord. Then you go to the New Testament, you know what it says about Jesus? It says Jesus is Lord. That's saying Jesus is God. That's either true or it's blasphemy. Lord means master and ruler and owner. In the Roman world, they called the Caesar, the emperor, the king, the Lord. So to say Jesus was Lord, that, that, that was tyranny against the government even. But I want to tell you, if you walk out of the tomb, I think you can claim to be Lord and you're Lord. And in John chapter 20, verse 27 and 28, this is a resurrection story. Let me give you the background. Thomas is called Doubting Thomas. You've heard of Doubting Thomas? Because when two or three times, but after Jesus had arisen one time, he wasn't there. And the other disciples said, he's alive. He goes, I'll have to put my hand in the nails where the nails were in his hand and my hand where the spear was in his side. Then he said to Thomas, hey, Thomas, Jesus showed up. Put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't you know that was a a get right with Jesus moment for Thomas? Listen to what Thomas says. My Lord and my God. Hey, this makes so much claims on your life and my life. You see, because the problem with you and with me is oftentimes we're our Lord. We're our God. Or a thousand other things are. But I want to tell you, Jesus Christ arose from the dead. And it's a game changer. Jesus said he was Lord, that he was God, that he was the Son of God, that he's over all. G.K. Chesterton was a great Christian leader in the 20th century. And he said, if you tell people that you're going to die and you're going to arise in three days, you're either a liar or a lunatic or you're who you say you are. And Jesus walked out of the tomb. It's been verified over and over and over. So you know what? I think Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And I want to give you a third thing, which I think it's cool. He's looking for you this morning. Jesus is looking for you this morning. Last week, we looked at the death of Christ, and we looked scripturally that Jesus died for you. Jesus died for me. And Jesus walked out of the tomb for you and me. This morning, as I was praying, I got up early, and man, it's beautiful outside. It's dark, and, and, and I'm thinking about that first Easter And I'm thinking, you know what? When Jesus came out of the tomb, I wonder if he was thinking about me. I don't really care if he was thinking about you. I want to know if he was thinking about me. But he was thinking about you too. Josh, our youth pastor, a couple of weeks ago, shared me something that he had seen on social media where basically this religious guy was posting this thing. It was basically saying, God doesn't like us. God doesn't really like us. We're, in fact, if God could, he would just kick you real hard in the head. Yeah, he came and died for you, but that was just like, oh, he didn't really want to do it. And he just would be kind of happy to send you on to hell. Folks, be careful what you read and listen to. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. I want to tell you, when Jesus came out of the tomb, he was looking for people. 
And Mark 16, verse 7, a very subtle verse, can sneak past it. It says, now, Jesus had appeared. And he says, go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that I'm going ahead of you into Galilee. Why is Peter significant there? Because Peter was the leader. Peter was the, the, the tough guy. He was the one out front. Remember, Peter got mad a few days later and chopped the guy's ear off. You don't mess with Peter. I mean, he was tough. But Peter had also failed Jesus tremendously. Three times, Jesus' most crucial moment, he said, I don't even know who you are. I don't know you. I don't know you. And so when Jesus is alive, I'm sure there may have been a little, all of them had failed Jesus. There may have been a little bit of fear on all of them. But when Peter heard that Jesus is going and he's looking for you, it may have been, uh-oh. <laughs> but what we know from the rest of that story is that when they met, Peter was never the same. He was loved, he was forgiven, he was redeemed, he was put back up on his feet, and he was saying, buddy, let's go get it. Some of you this morning are here, and you're, you got stuff on your life that's bad. Maybe people don't know, and you're hiding it, but you know it. Some of you got stuff that people may know. And it's easy to wonder, really, if, you, if you've got a, a decent heart, you're not arrogant. It's easy to wonder, does God really love me? Does God, is he really looking for me? Can he forgive me? And I want to tell you, absolutely. I've got something up here that I rarely get to touch. This is a $100 bill. Some of you are going, you preachers, all about money. It's my wife's. It's my wife. You know what she told me before the service? You better get that back to me right after church. Submissive. You know what? I don't get to touch it. Ben Franklin is awesome, isn't he? I mean, it even smells good. I, I, I deal with ones, you know, and, and a hundred. It's so awesome. And if I said, now you better be honest. If I told you I would give you this, how many of you would take it? I know some of you are so spiritual. No, I wouldn't. Oh, whatever, whatever. If you wouldn't take it, I'm worried about you. I'd take it. Offer me one after church. I'll take it. <laughs> I'll prove it. What if I did like this? If I wanted it, how many of you would still take it? The youth are like, because they're honest. What if I did this? I deodorant. I really do. I do. Okay. How many of you still take it? Because it's still very valuable, isn't it? You may be a little dirty. You may be a little wadded up. Please don't bug me after church. But man, God's looking for you. And God loves you. The, the resurrection is not a theological premise for preachers to argue. Man, it's a, it's a fact of a living Lord who loves people and is looking for you this morning. So here's... Here's where we bring it to a head. Let's respond properly to him this morning. Let's respond properly. I want you to see verse 9 again and, and get the feel of it. It says, as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them. Probably the best, and that's a good translation, but the best way to understand that is while they were going, Jesus, Jesus was in their way. He was in their path. Folks, Listen. Jesus is in your path this morning. I don't know who said this. 
You tweet it, put it on social media, just don't quote me or I'll get sued by somebody. But it's so good. Jesus is Lord. He's the ruler of everything. He's contemporary. What that means is this isn't just a a, a lesson from 2,000 years ago or for your grandparents in the 40s. This is for 2018. He's contemporary and he's unavoidable. I mean, he's, you've got to do something with Jesus. A lot of them rejected him. The soldiers, they saw this happen and they still rejected him. I want to give you two ideas this morning on the response. First, it's for you Christians. Please respond properly to him. You see, Easter is not just about people who don't know Christ. In fact, it's deeply for those who do. The people who may have been the most transformed that first Easter morning were people we would say who were Christians. Look again in verse 9, one more time. It says, they ran to him, they grasped his feet, and they worshipped him. In other words, they fell down, prostrate before him, and grabbed his feet. We talk about this sometimes at, at Christmas with the wise men and what they did when they saw Jesus. Kind of interesting after the resurrection. They fell down at his feet. In the oriental culture that Jesus and them lived in, here's how, and it was men to men, women to women, how you would greet each other. If two equals met each other, they would kiss on the lips. Josh and Mary bump into each other in the hallway. They kiss on the lips. I'm a little uncomfortable with that, but that's okay. Braden, Braden sees Josh, and, and Josh is his superior, so he kisses Josh on the cheek. Then I walk in the office, and Josh sees me, and he falls at my feet. Just a joke. But when you came upon someone who was royalty or much superior to you, you bowed to the ground and you touched your forehead on the ground. When they saw the living Jesus, they grabbed his feet and they worshipped. We we get confused about worship. Sometimes we'll say, well, he's going to preach and before that we'll have worship, meaning music. And music can be worship, but music can just be music. It can be singing and be entertainment. It can be performing. Our our music can be worship. Preaching can be just a speech or a talk. Or it can be worship. Worship, listen, if you're taking notes, is surrender. Christian, many of us, we have moved away from God. We, We need to let this Easter bring us back to Him. We need to come back to Him with all of our heart and and worship Him this morning and surrender to Him this morning and stay surrendered. Today needs to motivate us. And and next Sunday and and next week and Tuesday and Friday, re-surrender yourself. Christian, come back to Christ. Those people in the first century, Jesus' followers, were never the same after that first Easter. Let that be you and me. But secondly, if you're not a Christian... Respond properly to him. How do you respond to Jesus properly today if you're not a Christian? You, you may legitimately need some more time to process this. That's awesome. Call. Let's talk this week. I got the church credit card. I'll buy you lunch. But ultimately, you know what you need to do? You need to surrender your life to Christ. I didn't know this when I became a Christian. I wouldn't have understood it. But when you get saved... You're worshiping Jesus in the purest sense. You're surrendering your life to Him. That's what He wants you to do this morning. You see, because of Easter, the opportunity of change and life, man, they're just right here waiting for you and me. 
I want to tell you a story that I think, I think may help illustrate it well. Brandon told me in the first service to hide this because if I had a sparkling green egg up here the whole time, that's all you'd look at. I hope somebody got me one of these full of chocolates when I get home. But In the early 1970s in, in the Midwest, Methodist Church, a small town, lady taught a Sunday school class. They were eight-year-olds, and there was ten of them. They grew up together. They loved each other. They were eight-year-old kids. They fought. They argued. They made fun of each other. And there was one little boy in there named Philip who had Down syndrome. They loved Philip. Philip loved them. They picked on Philip. Philip would pick back. It was just part of the, the group. On Easter Sunday morning, it was a beautiful day like today, and the teacher gave him one of those old pantyhose eggs. You remember those? Cindy said those went out some time ago. I don't, I'm not up on pantyhose, so I don't know. I said in the early service, this must have been a big woman's pantyhose, but I meant tall. I'm not tall, not. She gave him one of those pantyhose eggs. She told him, I want you to go out, and they had a fenced-in area, and I want you to find something that represents life and change. Put it in your egg, don't let anybody see it, and bring it back in here. Then we're going to open it up and share it. So the kids go out for 20 minutes. They have a great time. They're having fun. They come back in. They kind of smell like little kids do, you know. They, they're a little sweaty. and they, It was great. A couple of them, you know, they got grass stains on their white pants and all that. But it's great. So they start opening up their eggs. One, one kid opens it up, and he's got uh, a little girl. She's got a daisy in there. Oh, that's, that's, that's good. She said, you know, hey, a month ago this wasn't out there. This is life. And... Uh, and another little girl brings a flower. Girls do better at this a lot of times than boys do. She has a flower. And she said, hey, this is, uh, you know, a month ago that was just a stick out there. Now it's producing these beautiful flowers. That's life. That's change. Another girl brought in. She had some grass, some green grass. And she said, hey, rightly, a month ago that was brown grass. This is life. It's changed. And another little boy opens it up and it's a rock. And everybody goes, oh, that's so dumb. You're bringing a rock. That represents nothing. The last one they got to is Philip. You got to Philip. He opens up his egg and there's nothing in it. And kids do what kids will do. Kids snickered. And one of the boys who was close to Philip said, Philip, you're so dumb. You always mess it up. And Philip said, no, no, no. Empty. It's empty. Yeah, we know it's empty. The tomb. The tomb was empty. The tomb was empty. Life. Change. The tomb was empty. The Sunday school teacher said that she had never experienced a miracle in her life, but she did that morning. His other little eight-year-old sat there with their mouths open, what they had just heard. A year later, Philip got sick and he died. And at the funeral, led by the Sunday school teacher, the other nine, now nine-year-olds, walked up by Philip's casket. And they took one of those eggs that was empty. They laid them all beside his casket. See, the little boy got it, didn't he? Life change happens because the tomb was empty if we'll respond to it. Let's pray. This morning, if you're a Christian, I pray that you will come back to Christ with all your heart. 
worship Him. If you're not a Christian and you're ready sincerely to, to come to Christ today, pray with me and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to repent of my sins. And Jesus, I believe that you're God's son. And I, I believe by faith that you died and arose for me. Jesus, come into my heart. And I surrender my life to you. Let me have your attention. We're going to stand in a moment, not just to sing, but to give you a chance to respond. You're a Christ follower today. Maybe this morning the Holy Spirit has touched your heart. Maybe just where you're standing, you need to say to God, I'm coming back to you with all my being. Maybe you want to come pray at the altar, kneel at the altar. We don't care if you lay here at the altar if you're serious. But man, just make this Easter a watermark day in your life, Christian. Maybe you'd like to join the church. We would love for you to. You can come when we stand and join us. You might not be comfortable with that. I'll be at this door. Ministers will be around. We'd love for you to join our church if God's leading you to. Maybe you just prayed and asked Jesus to come into your life. Are you ready to do that? Again, if you're, you're shy, we'd be happy to talk to you after church. Just stop us and let us know. But maybe you're ready to leave your seat and come today and cross that line with Christ. He arose, he's looking for you, but you've got to respond. Will you do it? Let's stand.